Well, this will be part two of the duties of parents. Last week, we began talking through uh, what are the duties of parents from J.C. Ryle's little pamphlet by that title. And so today we'll uh, see how much we, we, uh, we can cover. And we'll pick out a few more principles uh, to review. Are there handouts? Okay. Excellent. All right. Thank you, deacons. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll dive in. God, thank you for your word, again, that guides us. Uh, It teaches us truth. It instructs us. It warns us. It gives us a every everything we need to know to please you in this life. And so as we turn our attention to what it says to parents, God, I pray you would help me to be clear, help us to look into the clarity of your word and have right thinking affirmed and encouraged and wrong thinking corrected. And we pray you would be glorified in the next several moments now. In Christ's name, amen. In the duties of parents, J.C. Ryle outlines 17 principles for parents to live by. Some of those uh, principles apply specifically to the parent and how the parent should think about themselves. Others apply to how the parent should think about his or her responsibility as a parent in the home. Other principles have to do with how they should think about their children and practices that they should implement in their parenting with their children. And so last week we covered four principles, principles one, two, four, and five. We said that the goal of parenting is the glory of God, just like everything else. So parenting isn't any different in one sense, than everything else that God created, everything else that exists under the sun. It exists for God's glory so that he would be honored. Something great about him would be put on display for people. And so we said in our parenting, we should be aiming for that, that our spouse or our children or other people who we interact with would see our parenting and in seeing our parenting and witnessing our parenting, they would get a glimpse of something that is great about God, God's grace, God's mercy, God's patience, God's uh, fatherly discipline of his children. Our parenting should be a reflection or put on display those things. And so we talked through a few principles 
the first principle we, we discussed was train them in the way they should go and not in the way they would go. If you would train your ch- children rightly, you must train them in the way they should go, not in the way they would. Principle two, if you would train your children rightly, you must train them with all tenderness, affection, and patience. We discussed principle four, train them with this thought continually before your eyes that the soul of your child is the first thing to be considered. And then finally, last week, we discussed training your child to a knowledge of the Bible. This week, four four more principles that uh, I'm going to try to cover. Principles eight, nine, 14, and 17. So train them to a habit of faith, train them to a habit of obedience, train them remembering continually the influence of your own example, and finally train them with continual prayer for a blessing on all you do. Um, if, if you have not already picked up and read J.C. Ryle's book, 32, 34 pages long. Uh, Hopefully there are still some at the book table. And if there aren't, we have some more on the way. So you can pick one up in a couple weeks. So principle number seven, train them to a habit of faith is the first thing that we'll discuss today. Parents, if you would train your children rightly, train them to a habit of faith. Ryle says this, I mean by this, You should train them up to believe what you say. You should try to make them feel confidence in your judgment and respect your opinions as better than their own. You should accustom them to think that when you say it, it is good for them, it must be good. That your knowledge, in short, is better than their own and that they may rely implicitly on your word. Teach them to feel that what they know not now, they will probably know hereafter. And to be satisfied, there is a reason and needs be for everything you require them to do. Because one, one way that Emily and I have applied this principle of teaching our children to believe what we say one just really simple way we applied this was we decided not to teach our kids that Santa Claus was real. We wanted them to be able to believe us when we told them anything. And so really early on in parenting, we had that discussion. What are we going to do with Santa Claus? Uh, we were raised um, with a little bit of difference there. <clears throat> and so we decided that Instead of telling our kids that someone who they could not see, who was keeping track of all of their deeds and who knew everything, apparently he's omniscient, knowing when they're sleeping and when they're awake. We didn't want to do that. We didn't want to tell them one thing and then have to tell them later it was, it was uh, not true. Uh, not to mention that the similarities between Santa Claus and God are uh, startling. Uh, uh, some being who can't be seen, who's never been seen, who uh, 
is keeping track of whether you're naughty or nice, good or bad, and he's going to uh, in some way reward or withhold rewards from you, who knows when you're sleeping and when you're awake. I just don't want to confuse my kids with that, right? So maybe somebody has a good reason for teaching their kids about Santa Claus. I haven't heard one, but I'm open to listen if that's you. But we should train our children to understand that they're only children and that they can trust us when we tell them that something is right or something is true or something is good. Ryle goes on to say, I have heard it said by some that you should require nothing of children which they cannot understand. That you should explain and give a reason for everything you desire them to do. I warn you solemnly against such a notion. I tell you plainly, I think it is an unsound and rotten principle. No doubt it is absurd to make a mystery of everything you do. And there are many things which it is well to explain to children in order that they may see that they are reasonable and wise. But to bring them up with the idea that they must take nothing on trust, that they with their weak and imperfect understanding must have the why and the wherefore made clear to them at every step they take, this is indeed a fearful mistake and likely to have the worst effect on their minds. Go to Ephesians 6 in your Bibles. It's helpful to just put our eyes on a clear parenting passage. Ephesians 6, Paul continuing in a section about proper submission, really, gives this instruction to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Those are simple instructions to children. The first reason in this passage given to children for why they should obey their parents is in verse one, children, Do this, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. (laughs) The principle there being children ought to obey their parents in the Lord because it's the right thing to do, right? Um, So it's okay for parents to say, because I said so, and God tells you to obey your parents. Not because I'm the ultimate authority, but I have been given delegated authority by God. And if you want a reason why you have to obey, it's because it's the right thing to do. A helpful parenting principle that uh, we learned from Kim Maxwell, actually, was when our children asked us virtually any question that delayed obedience, our response was, obey first, then you can ask questions. Obey first, if you have a question, about the obedience, you need to first demonstrate that you're willing to obey and actually go do what I said do, and then you can ask a question. Unless you're asking a question about how you're supposed to carry out the command, which it never is, then you need to obey first, and then you can ask questions. 
Uh, and what we found was they really, they typically didn't have questions after that because uh, it wasn't a sincere question. It was a, a means of delaying obedience and obeying on their own timetable rather than when they were told, right? So obey first, then ask questions, which, by the way, if you're a, a husband and you are hearing this, if you're listening to the recording, encourage your wife to spend time with older godly women who are wiser. Um, she'll benefit, yes, but you will benefit in your parenting from her having spent time with women who have raised children. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that Emily spent time with women in our small group or just in the body, and she's gleaned parenting principles. And I thought, wow, I wish I would have thought of that earlier. We got to start doing that. That's a good way to think about that. So men, encourage your wives to spend time with women who are going to uh, practice Titus 2 with them. Right? Older women teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and their own children. And then older women seek out younger moms and help them in their parenting. Right? Uh, usually during the day if dad's at work, doesn't leave a, a ton of time for mom to go hang out on coffee dates. Consider joining them in the uh, chaos at home if they will let you older women and disciple them in the, in the flow of, of life, right? We uh, just read in, in the uh, main service that Proverbs 1, wisdom is crying out in the markets, raising her voice in the uh, noisy streets, right? Wisdom can be attained in the midst of chaos. Your chaos isn't an impediment to God's, to practicing and learning wisdom. So, Sometimes we might need to get creative as a church. How are we going to practice Titus 2 where older men are pouring into younger men, older women pouring into younger women? And uh, that may just be a really good way to do it, to say, hey, let me come spend a day with you. I know you got laundry to fold, laundry to wash, children to manage. Maybe you're teaching them at home, homeschooling them. You've got lunch to make, dishes to wash. Let me come help serve you. And while we do that, I'm going to be intentional to observe your parenting and come alongside you and help you in some way. It'd be a, a, a good idea if you can make it work. Principle number nine, train them to a habit of obedience. Train them to a habit of obedience. Ryle says, parents, determine to make your children obey you. Though it may cause you much trouble and cause them many tears. Let there be no questioning and reasoning and disputing and delaying and answering again. When you give them a command, let them see plainly that you will have it done. Obedience is the only reality. It is faith visible, faith acting, and faith incarnate. That is so well said. Obedience is faith incarnate. It ought to be the mark of well-trained children, Ralph says, that they do whatsoever their parents command them. Where indeed is the honor which the fifth commandment enjoins if fathers and mothers are not obeyed cheerfully, willingly, and at once? Not that uh, we would say the fifth commandment, the law of Moses, is still necessary to be obeyed. But he's right. 
that the requirement, the goal should be that they obey cheerfully, willingly, and at once. Um, the way that we say that in our home is right away, all the way with joy. You need to obey immediately, the first time, right away, and all the way, complete what, we, what you were told to do fully, as you were told to do it, and do it with a good attitude, not huffing, puffing, rolling your eyes, right? That's, that's good for children to have that. And certainly, parents, we could take this and have an iron fist in the home and say, I'm the boss around here. I provide for you and this is my house and so you need to get in line and do what I say do. That's not the heart of what we're getting at here. That's not the heart of this principle. The reason we should require obedience of our children is because God says that this is wise. We just saw it in Ephesians 6 1. This is right. You should require children to obey and honor you because it's right to do so it's honoring to god to do so and then we should encourage that from the right motives as well don't obey daddy because you fear daddy the wrath of dad (laughs) obey daddy because god tells you to we should push our kids to to obey from the from the best motives possible He goes on and says, children cannot learn too soon that this is a world in which we are not all intended to rule and that we are not and that we are never in our right place until we know how to obey our betters, our superiors. Teach them to obey while young or else they will be fretting against God all their lives long and wear themselves out with the vain idea of being independent of his control. Requiring submission of children is a means, a tool to help them to see God, gets, God created the world and he determines why everything in it exists. And here's what he said children's job is. And so when we practically uh, bring our children, require our children to submit, then that's what we're doing. We're teaching them God created the world. Daddy and mommy don't get to make the rules, and this is the way God has ordered things. And it's good. It's the best thing for you to operate in God's world like you didn't create it and like he did. Read the instruction manual and obey it. And so as parents, we, we must be helping our children uh, to do this. Um, if you find yourself not able and this is this is just to to think practically about maybe how you're currently doing in this area if you find yourself practically not able to restrain your children with your words then you might need just some help here right if my words just simply said calmly said son or daughter do x if that's never obeyed then they're not in the habit of obedience or maybe not required to obey maybe you're okay telling them if i have to tell you again every single time you give them a command then god's goal in this for children is not being met Uh, we realize very early on 
that if we never disciplined for not obeying the first time, it didn't matter how many times we told them they needed to obey right away. We didn't actually enforce that as a, as a requirement. So obey right away, all the way with joy. Anytime we didn't, we weren't willing to follow up with their failure in those things, you know, right away, we were cutting off our, our own parenting at the legs, you know? Uh, and so when those things, when those standards, whatever standards you have in your home aren't being met, then uh, you need to, you must enforce obedience, produce obedience, compel them to obey. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the rod in a second. Some, some general pr- principles about obedience, you should have them on your outline. This isn't all there is to say, but some of the things you should consider. Don't incentivize obedience. If you want an incentive to obey, here's an incentive. God's pleased with obedient children. Or as Ephesians 6 1 said, it is right. Or as all of Proverbs says, and as we looked at last week, it's wise. You want the blessings of obedience? a peaceful life, um, a not tender behind, <laughs> obey. That, that should be motivation enough. So don't incentivize obedience. Hey, if you do this, then I'll... Well, you've already given them the command. They need to obey it because you told them, not because you're going to reward them, right? Some, some might say, well, doesn't God do that? Doesn't God incentivize obedience? Doesn't he reward us? Well, with eternal rewards, yes. So you don't get the reward always in this life, and obedience is its own reward. You have the blessings of obedience, uh, free from trouble that comes to foolish people who rebel against God's law. You have that in this life. If you're motivated by that, if that's what you mean by incentivizing obedience, sure. But that's not, that's not what we mean. So don't incentivize, incentivize obedience. Uh, number two, don't threaten discipline or punishment. If you do that again, then it's time for discipline. Or do you want to be disciplined? Do I need to get the rod? If you have to threaten obedience, then you're missing the opportunity to already discipline. You should have already disciplined if you have to, by the time you have to threaten it. Because you're threatening for disobedience when, when you've been disobeyed. So that means if you, if you feel tempted to threaten in that moment, that means you just need to go get the ride and, and discipline. Uh, third, don't guilt children into obedience. Right? Don't guilt them into obedience. That's not a, a good way to promote obedience after all I've done for you or I'm so disappointed in you, right? As a way to get them to do what you want them to do. That's not helpful. It's really just manipulation uh, to guilt them into obedience. And it doesn't promote obedience for God's sake, but it seeks to motivate obedience based on the parent's own honor and goodness and worthiness. So we shouldn't do that either. Also, a fourth principle in requiring obedience is to still require obedience to what was commanded even after discipline was 
uh, perhaps administered. Uh, we call it a do-over. So discipline isn't finished. The general rule is discipline isn't finished until the command has been obeyed. Uh, the purpose of discipline, as we'll see in a second, is to produce a softness of heart that rescues, that is seeking to rescue the child from the foolishness of rebelling against God. Rebelling against God primarily in not obeying the parents, because that's what God has required. And so, the, and so discipline is actually useful for that, that the child will go, you know what? That is foolish for me to keep disobeying mom and dad because it hurts to disobey mom and dad. And so it helps rescue the child from the foolishness of not submitting and doesn't allow them to get into a pattern of not submitting. And so when discipline, when there's been a disobedience, perhaps discipline uh, and then discipline gets administered, if the child still to use an example, comes back to the table and refuses to eat what they were instructed to eat, then we can't be done with discipline. Why? Because you're actually still not doing what discipline is intended to do. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is an excellent passage uh, on parental discipline as well as God's discipline of his children. And draws excellent parallels between the two. But look at verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Seems painful rather than pleasant. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The, the goal of discipline is that the one being disciplined would be trained by it. It's the same way with, with believers, which is the, the parallel here. The goal is to actually submit yourself to the discipline that's taking place. As believers, if we don't submit to a smaller means of discipline, what happens? God escalates the discipline. <laughs> the discipline gets escalated because you're refusing to comply. And so the same way in our homes, if the instruction is given and the discipline is resisted, then we can't be done. <laughs> and sometimes that can last a long time. <laughs> uh, parents need to have a godly fortitude, <clears throat> uh, steadfastness that surpasses the stubbornness of their child's rebellion. Uh, for the sake of your child, have a holy resolve that goes beyond their willingness to disobey, right? Principle number five or uh, another principle in, in terms of requiring obedience is to teach a helpful way to seek forgiveness. Just helpful if you can, um, if they know there's a way out of this, Right? There's a way out of the friction and unrest that I feel between me and my parent when I'm disobeying. What's the exit ramp? What's the way out? 
receive discipline, submit to the discipline, and then pursue reconciliation. That's what this is. Uh, a helpful way to seek forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, right? Not being willing to admit my fault is a, is a way of concealing transgressions. But whoever does two things, confesses and turns away and forsakes them, that is the person who gets mercy. Um, always true of God, right, this principle. The person who confesses his sins to God and repents, turns away from him and forsakes his sin, always obtains mercy from God. And oftentimes it's true on a human level as well. How often with even a person, if you admit your fault, and resolve not to do it again and don't make the same mistakes, will you, will you receive the mercy, you know, mercy from that person? Um, in our home, not that this is the only way to do it, but here's how we encourage our children to uh, seek forgiveness, is uh, there's, four, there's four components. I sinned against God. That's the first thing we want our kids to think about. We never want them to forget that. We don't want to forget that. And so when we teach them to seek forgiveness, I sinned against God. Even Jonah, who can't even talk yet, he's one and a half. When he sins against Emily, I'm walking him in there, say, I sinned against God. And he makes his sounds. I sinned against you. And he makes his sounds. Bye. And then I tell him what he did. And he repeats it in his, you know, non-speech. And then, will you please forgive me? And, he, and, and we hug, right? Uh, and so those four elements is, is just how we do it. It's not the only way, but we want them to know I sinned against God. I sinned against a specific person. And we need to name the specific way that sin was committed using biblical language. Not I messed up, right? What was the sin? I was unkind to you. I lacked love for you. I did not obey you, whatever it is. And then a question, not I'm sorry, not forgive me. You're the one who's supposed to be seeking mercy. You're in no position to make a command, right? Don't command someone to forgive you, but actually (laughs) ask a question and put yourself at the mercy of the person from whom you're seeking forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Um, and then, you know, the person who's from whom you're seeking forgiveness has the, is given the upper hand by you to say yes or no. And of course it's, it's always yes, always should be yes. And then after that, it's over. We move on and we have a good time, right? It, it's no lingering of animosity And as the believing parents, we should be eager to forgive. We have to be ready to forgive and not hold a record of wrongs. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's an extension of love. And so now it's over and we can have a great time now. Uh, Another principle, number six, consistently apply the rod. Don't have double standards and apply it whenever whenever it's needed. 
Uh, some, some would say, man, if you just, if every time is needed, all we're going to do is discipline. And that might be true for the first little bit, but your children hate discipline more than you hate giving it, probably. Um, they're they're going to learn to submit uh, and they're going to be eager to obey. And the rod is intended to do that. Number seven, add instruction to discipline, but don't substitute instruction for discipline. Add instruction to discipline, but don't substitute instruction for discipline. Words are not a substitute for discipline, but they should be added to it, right? Uh, Proverbs twenty nine nineteen illustrates this principle. Proverbs twenty nine nineteen says, "By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond." You find yourself as a parent. Oh, why won't you just listen? I told you. Oh yeah, because I'm supposed to be disciplining you. That's my fault. My bad. You won't listen because I'm not disciplining you. I'm not doing my job, right? Uh, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined. Instruction is not a substitute for discipline in parenting. It's not a way to manage your home. Verse 17, just above that in Proverbs 29 says this, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give the light to your heart. If you want to enjoy your children more, consistently apply discipline. They will become more enjoyable because they will actually obey you, right? And you'll be able to give them more freedom because you know they'll listen. Uh, if this is you, I don't know. The, you see the parents walking around the mall with the you know, kids on leashes? I don't know. Maybe you have a good reason for using it. But uh, oftentimes when I've seen that used, in public places, it's because I can't control you outside of keeping you on a leash. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they make it look like a backpack, and, but, you know, we tug them along. Uh, what's better than that, what's better than that is being able to say, stay close to me, please, and not have to tell them again because they're accustomed to obedience. That's way better, right? Uh, Prevent, it, it gives us freedom as parents to do, to do other things because obedience is there in our children. Uh, next one, number eight, only discipline for disobedience. That may sound obvious, but it needs to be said. We're not disciplining for inconveniences. Don't discipline because the child has inconvenienced you or for childishness or immaturity or even ignorance. If they weren't told how to obey, then there's, there's ignorance there and we should bear with them and their weaknesses, right? Uh, the principle from Romans 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. It's not sin uh, if they didn't know how to obey. And so we should take those opportunities to instruct them for the next time. But also child, childishness and immaturity, that should be expected. Right? We shouldn't be uh, frustrated, angry with our children for being children. We should patiently 
train them out of their childishness by instilling wisdom in there in them intentionally in a formal way right there should be times where we all sit down together as a family around God's word and I'm teaching dads you should be doing that um but then also informally just in the normal milieu of life as we sit down as we rise up and whatever we're doing we're mindful we live in a world created by God under his authority. And so we're going to talk about that in whatever we're doing. We're going to impromptu respond in ways that praise God, that thank God. That'll help you make progress in, in your uh, child's obedience, constantly pointing them back to God and his word. And then finally, number nine do not give them grace instead of discipline. <laughs> do not give your child grace instead of discipline. There, I think you have to read maybe a handful of uh, Christian parenting books before you come across this <laughs> in our day. The, there's this idea in, um, in all of our gospel-centeredness, right, uh, of our day, um, biblical counseling movement, full of gospel-centeredness, right? We want to be gospel-centered in our lives. We want to be gospel-centered in our churches, in our preaching, in our parenting, in our counseling, and we should be gospel-centered. But we should be gospel-centered like God is gospel-centered. We should not fabricate in our minds an entire system for parenting that we think is good for displaying the gospel to our children that actually doesn't mirror God's instructions to parents. Earlier this week, I watched uh, a video, two prominent biblical counselors written much uh, in the biblical counseling for the biblical counseling movement, much of it helpful. But in this uh, about 20-minute video, they talked, the whole thing was about parenting and how to parent with grace and how to, how to apply the gospel to parenting. They quoted several passages of scripture, uh, referenced lots of, pa- lots of text, actually, And you know what none of those texts were about? Parenting. The whole thing was about grace, parenting with grace, and they didn't reference any text about parenting. Always be wary, be leery of systems that are about something and ignore the the specific biblical passages on that topic. That happens in a lot of ways. Right happens uh, when we, when people talk about baptism. Happens when people talk about lots of issues, parenting being one of them. We can't be more gospel centered than God. Agreed. No one is more gospel centered than God. So when God tells us how to parent, it's not devoid of the gospel. That means when God tells parents what we already saw 
in Hebrews 12 about discipline, that's not gospel-less parenting. When God tells us in Ephesians 6, as we already saw, children, obey your parents in the Lord, not because of some simplified version of the gospel, but what does he say? Because it's right. It's okay to say that. I've heard it said, and I think it's well, well put, soteriology, the study of salvation, the gospel, is not a paradigm for parenting. The gospel and salvation are not a parenting paradigm. They're not a counseling paradigm. They're not an ecclesiological paradigm. They're not a hermeneutical paradigm for how you should interpret the Bible. The gospel is not a preaching paradigm. The gospel is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God himself lived the perfect life that we can't live, died a death he didn't deserve under the wrath of God, and God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. God raised Jesus from the dead for all those who would believe, and if you trust him by faith alone, believing what God says about the gospel, you will have eternal life unmerited. That's the gospel. That is not all you need to know in your parenting is the point. So when I'm, when I'm saying here, do not give them grace instead of discipline, there's this idea floating around in our day that discipline, yeah, that's a part of parenting, but what they need most is grace. Well, I, I agree. Children do need grace. They need to understand God's grace. They need to experience grace from us. They need to experience unmerited favor. That does not inform you in a given moment whether they need to be disciplined or not. God tells us clearly what the instructions are for discipline, for parental discipline. And this is a, this is a problem on a number of levels. Go to, well, we're already in Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you must endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It's not gracious to withhold discipline. You're treating them as if they're an illegitimate child when you withhold discipline from them when they need it. That's not gracious. That's not merciful. Verse 9 says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Maybe once upon a time in our day, that's frowned upon. We should respect earthly fathers who discipline children and not listen to the cultural gurus who tell us that it causes psychological damage and that kind of nonsense. The people who are saying that weren't disciplined at all or they weren't disciplined well, lovingly. Consistently, humbly, by humble parents. If you weren't disciplined at all, or you were disciplined consistently in anger, then I can understand perhaps why you would think that way about discipline. But God's word gives us clear instruction still, even when that is the case. Proverbs 3 makes a similar claim as uh, what's made in Hebrews 12. Teach your kids the discipline passages, by the way. 
passages that give you instructions for what you should do with your children. That's helpful. So they know the instructions aren't coming from you. <laughs> but Proverbs 3.11 says this, my son, do not despise Yahweh's discipline. So he's telling him, don't despise God's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Don't get tired of being corrected by God. The person who gets tired of being corrected by God is really just saying, God, when can I be right for once and not you? When can I just not have to be corrected by you and just be, be like, good, kick my feet up that I'm finally okay? <laughs> don't despise Yahweh's discipline and don't be weary of his reproof. Why? Because Yahweh reproves him whom he loves just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Discipline is a sign of love when God disciplines his children and discipline is a sign of love when a father disciplines his children or when a parent, when a mom disciplines her little ones and she should tell them that. I love you too much not to discipline you. The idea that, hey, we're gonna, when even though you've disobeyed, and this is how this principle has been put forward, because we're grace-centered and gospel-centered in our parenting, I'm going to respond to your disobedience this way. I'm going to take you in the room and go through the whole process of, you know, how we would normally do this, explain to you what you did wrong and so forth. And then I'm going to say, son or daughter, instead of disciplining you in this moment, I'm going to show you grace. See? Grace. You don't get what you deserve. Mercy. Just as a side note, that doesn't work anyway, right? Parents who practice that actually have a harder time with their kids. The, there's four problems with that. And you have them, therefore, you're on your outline. One, this misunderstands grace as withholding discipline. And we've already said that. What you're telling your child in that moment is grace is when I don't discipline you. Secondly, it misunderstands discipline as withholding grace. When I do discipline you, I'm not being gracious. That's something else. Thirdly, this accuses discipline of being ungracious. If, if ever I discipline you, that's not gracious. That's not loving. And finally, this actually distorts the gospel that people who hold this view are seeking to uphold. It distorts the gospel primarily by failing to provide a substitute for sin. If you want to be gospel-centered in your parenting and truly display the gospel, then when one person needs discipline, you substitute a sibling in their place. I don't know anybody doing that because then you'd have to have like a willing sibling, a willing substitute. That's probably not happening in your house. But that would be an accurate picture of the gospel. I know one parent who was struggling and had, I mean, it was getting to the point of like, how much more can we discipline you? I know one parent who said, I'm going to apply the gospel rightly in parenting. And, he, and the dad actually struck himself as hard as he could in the presence of his son with the rod. That's more, that's more accurate. Kids, don't put your hope in that if you're, if you're listening to this. Daddy, when you go show me the gospel, don't do that. <laughs> um, 
But even that's a more accurate depiction of the gospel because when you don't do that, then you're just communicating to your kid, hey, what the gospel does is doesn't punish sin. And that's not faithful to the gospel. And so we shouldn't display that in our parenting. If you have questions about that, Denny would love to answer them. Uh, Final two principles uh, you have that we won't have time to go over. Principle 14, we should train children remembering continually the influence of our own example. That cannot be overstated. Uh, If we're requiring children to do things, for example, like seek forgiveness, then they should see us model seeking forgiveness in the same ways. It's really humbling to have to seek mommy's forgiveness in the presence of your children because you sinned in their presence. Um, All right, in front of the whole family, here we go. Babe, I sinned against God and I sinned against you by speaking harshly to you. Will you please forgive me? Uh, But it's good. They know, hey, they practice what they preach if you do that. So remember continually the influence of your own example. And then finally, train children with continual prayer for a blessing on all you do. This is ultimately what happens in our homes is under the sovereign control of God. And so we can trust him with wherever you find yourself in your parenting. If these things are completely new and you thought, man, where was this when my kids were way younger or whatever the case may be, you can entrust those things to God and you can, you can always pray at whatever, uh, wherever you find yourself in your parenting and whatever stage your kids are at, you can always pray and the Lord is uh, eager, more eager to answer prayers than we are to make them. So uh, thank you so much for, for hanging around uh, for Equipping Hour. I hope this was helpful. Um, if you have any questions, I'll be here and uh, the elders are, are here as well. Thank you so much. You are dismissed. <laughs>